It's good to be here and a privilege to worship with you today. Pete Seeger, late 50s, he's a folk singer, uh, wrote a song that was popular in that day, and those of you that are older probably will remember that song, and it's called There Is a Season, or it better turn, turn, turn. And it has been recorded by folk singers over the years, and it was written during a time when there was a lot of protests going on about the Vietnam War. And a lot of protest songs were being sung at that time. Actually, 90% of that song, Solomon wrote it in that first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 98% of the words he wrote about 3,000 years ago. And now the words have frustrated scholars over the years as they've read that. Some have these words uh, totally and taken them in a, in a negative way, totally. Uh, they say the preacher Solomon is claiming it in a negative way. He's, he's proclaiming some things that God has so arranged the things in this world that has, uh, he, we have absolutely no control over. Uh, he's uh, already got it set up. Everything is predestined. Everything is foreordained. And so God has set seasons and times, and I agree that in the context, Solomon is speaking negatively about the futility of life. But the Bible does not teach that God violates our free will. He, we do have some things that we can do about life and the way things run in our life now. Uh, now others choose to ignore the context and uh, take it totally in a positive way. All Solomon says is they teach that there's a right time and appropriate time for all things. And uh, again, there's an element of truth in that summation. And the point is made several times, and especially in chapter 3 and verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart knows both time and judgment, because every matter there is a time and a judgment. In chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart clear you in the days of your youth. Walk in the impulse of your heart, and as you see to be best, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Well, this doesn't seem to be the main thing that the preacher, I believe, is emphasizing. The context is a negative one. In all this is vanity and vexation of spirit. Then he summarizes the first eight verses in cha chapter 3 of, in verse 9 and 10. What profit has the worker from that which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which he has the, the sons of men are to be occupied. And so in light of these truths that was read in your hearing a moment ago, verses 1 through 8, there seems to be no profit in laboring for everything that man does becomes undone. It seems like mass confusion. Now I have no objection to taking segments of this passage to note that there are appropriate times to embrace and there are appropriate times to refrain from embracing. There's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to mourn. But I believe the thrust of the passage of Scripture is life is just frustrating. Life is frustrating. 
Life is not all good. Life is a mixture of good and bad. You see, in the spring, it's followed by summer. Now, and we're in summer, we're looking for fall, and then winter, and then spring again. Over and over, there are seasons of life, whether we like it or not. I hear people say, boy, I'm ready for winter. They're tired of this heat. Well, I wish you'd hurry up. You can't hurry it. It's going to, God set it in time. It will be here. Be patient. It will come. Turn, turn, turn. And so we have all these seasons of laughter followed by seasons of tears. You can't stay happy all the time. I get so aggravated at my brethren thinking you've got to live on the mountaintop all the time. You don't live on the mountaintop all the time. There are some mountaintop experiences, but most of life is lived in the valley. Ask a woman with a little, little baby. Up at night, all the diapers, all the taking care of the little baby, uh, you know, the, the waiting on that first word that says dada. A lot of you think it's mama, but it's dada. And all those things. But, you know, it's not all, it's not all good. It's bad sometimes. Everything is not like we think it is. There are times when we're happy. We laugh. And then there are times when we say, oh no, we cry. We have some sad times. Laughter is followed by tears, then laughter, then tears. A time of war, then a time of peace, which is followed both by a time of war. So as Peter Seeger's song says, the cycles of good and bad seem to just turn, turn, turn. When you get something nailed down, the nail comes loose. Nothing stays done. You plant a flower, it's a pretty flower, but it's going to die. You dig it up and you plant another flower. You build something and it doesn't last forever. You either tear it down or you remodel or you build again. You would think that you get something that's yours forever. No, you can lose it. You can lose it. It's not there for you ever. Clothes do not stay repaired. They do wear out. Beds do not, they don't stay made. I used to tell my mother, why do I have to make my bed? I'm just going to tear it up again. Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to brush my teeth? They're just going to get dirty again. Why do I have to bathe? I'm just going to get dirty again. Why? Dishes do not stay clean. They get dirty. Floors do not stay clean. They get dirty. I would say it's easy to echo the sentiment in verse 9. What's the profit in all that we do? As we say, what's the use? What's the use? My wife has a sign in the house that says, housework never killed anyone, but why take a chance? <laughs> you see, clean floors do get dirty. Made beds get unmade. Washed clothes get dirty. And so what's the use of bringing new life into the world, knowing that it's going to die? The doctor may say, what's the use in helping someone to get well, they're going to die anyhow by war, by disease, by domestic violence, by on a foreign field, by old age. A farmer says, why clear this field? Why clear the field and plant a crop knowing the storm will come and destroy my crop? Why? Husbands and wives love each other dearly. Then they let debris get in the relationship and over time the love 
now turns to something that's devastating. And we say, what's the use? What's the use of all this? What is it? What is there that brings happiness? Knowing that in a moment something can snatch that happiness away. Now you're filled with dread and remorse and crying. And when you put it all that way, it sounds pretty hopeless. Viewing it from this dismal viewpoint. Life doesn't seem to make sense when you look at it that way. Kind of contradictions. Is there a way to make sense of all of this? Solomon doesn't leave us with a pessimistic view that he's painted for us in verses 1 through 9. Solomon says it's a mystic picture he's pointed out for us. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose, under heaven. Then he follows that passage with the most meaningful words in the book. Verses 10 through 15. That's what he does for us. On this occasion, heavenly light shines through and he gives us some suggestions on how to make sense in all of this. And you need to look at this and take this home in your take-home box and use it. In verse 10, I have seen the God-given task with which the Son of Man are occupied. Different occupations, different businesses, different ways of success. Verses 1 through 9, we're told that things keep happening over and over and over, but the name of God's not mentioned, but now we see the hand of God in everything that's happening. Over and over. He says God's hand is in all of this to help us with the challenges of life. When you listen to the news, watch it on TV, read about it through other forms, you wonder who's running things. It seems like things are coming unglued. It seems like things are not staying nailed down. Things are falling apart morally and physically and spiritually and domestically and politically. Seems like everything is just falling apart. What is in control of all of this? God is in the midst. God is in the midst of all that's happening, that God-given task. In Jeremiah 10, verse 17, Who would not fear you, O king, of all the nations? There is value in hard work of learning to cope with the problems of life. Our God-given task. He has a purpose in each one of us, in each one of these little details, in each one of these things that happen, each one of these little episodes that happens, the good, the bad, the ugly. He has a purpose in all of that. Now then, to expand that a little further, look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts. How much is everything? Anybody know how much everything is? It's everything, isn't it? No. If I told you, lady, I said, give me all your lipstick out of your pocketbook, how much would you give me? Some have two tubes, two, some have three, some have just one, some don't even have any. But I say, give me all the change in your pocket. 
All of it. Everything. He has made everything beautiful at an appointed time. Some translations have it appropriate. Some are excellent. Some are similar. All these words express the truth revealed here. But the original Hebrew word is beautiful. He's put in us a sense that this world is not all there is. Isn't that a thing? He's put eternity in their hearts. All that we see and all that we do and all that we're involved in, that's not what this world is meant. There's more beyond what we see. We just get the part of the picture. The original word is beautiful. He has made everything beautiful. And so if God is in the midst of all of this, then it's going to make sense. Why? Because God is not nonsensical. It's going to make sense. All of this refers back to all that's mentioned in verses 1 through 8. Not all the old things are beautiful in themselves, but in time, they become beautiful. Overall plan of God, it becomes beautiful. Remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now then, it's not that all things are good, but that God works all things together for good. You think about a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw, that sounds funny, doesn't it? A jigsaw puzzle. We used to work jigsaw puzzles. You see that beautiful picture on the box? 500 pieces, 800 pieces, 1,000 pieces. You take them home, you lay them out on They're ugly. They cut different plates, different shapes. It just looks like a piece of scrap. And all of a sudden, you start putting some together. Pretty soon, after a while, that picture begins to form, just like on the front of the box. It's a beautiful picture. You know what I think? We, we're not able to see the big picture. We're not able to see all those little incidences that happen in our life. God's hand is there. We're not able to see the good and the bad, the ugly, as part of the picture. It does look ugly there, but God is taking it and going to make something wonderful out of it. And so we have trouble seeing that big picture. How does it fit into the whole scheme of things? You see, to help us with this, you open your Bible and you can look at... Uh, Job, there on the trash heap in Job chapter 2 and verse 8, lost all, but look how it all turned out. You look at Joseph, sold into slavery. You think, man, that's a terrible thing, but then look how it all turned out. You look at David or Daniel thrown in the lion's den in Daniel 6. You think, that's terrible. Then you see how it turned out. It turned out to be good. Look at Jesus dying on the cross. Recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These isolated situations are very ugly. Jesus dying on the cross. The innocent for the guilty. Crucified for our sins. Bad thing. Ugly thing. But it turned out to be the best thing for me and you in the end. Jesus Christ. His dying on the cross. God turned it into something good. The best thing for mankind. And so when you look at the big picture, 
You can see this. Part of the problem is we don't see it. We miss the beauty of it. Then verses 12 and 13. Nothing better to do than go ahead and have a good time. Get the most out of life and eat and drink. Get the most out of your job. It's a gift of God. You see, you have authority from God to enjoy your work. You have authority. To enjoy the things that you have. That he's allowed you to have with those blessings. And just, we pray that those blessings do not deter us from our devotion to God. Sometimes we can be blessed so much and have so many blessings that it turns us from God. That's a bad thing. And so, we cannot know God's timetable. We've got to be patient. Be patient. See, I've heard people say, be patient with me. God's not through with me yet. I remember when I was a boy, I was jerked up over there in the mountains of North Carolina. And people used to say, well, is he ever going to grow up? Is he ever going to mount anything? Is he ever going to settle down? And look at me. I did settle down. I've been preaching the gospel almost 50 years now. I did make it. And so I went back over there one time to work in a little area in Haywood County. And uh, they found out who I was. And they said, are you that little boy? I said, yes, I'm that little boy. And they said, we didn't think you'd make it. Well, I did. Look at me now. So uh, this is the most interesting passage in all scripture. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. And so we can never completely and totally be satisfied in this world. You know why? Because God's put eternity in our hearts. And so I know whatever, whatever God does is good. And then the final thing that he tells us is in verses 14 and 15. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. You see, God's actions are permanent. It shall be forever. God's actions are effective and complete. Nothing can be added. God's actions are totally secure. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear <clears throat> before him. What's happening right now has already happened in the past. What will happen has already happened. Past, present, and future are bound together. Everything matters. Everything matters. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14. You see, God is in control. God is in control and makes a positive use of history as it repeats itself. You know what he it, what it does? He gives us time through all these things that are happening to us. 
As you look back over your life, all those things you can see, some of you can see now, I now see the picture. I now see the total picture. I now see the big picture of how God has used all those things that have happened to you to bring you where you are. I wanted to go to Australia. I was a barber in Florida. I wanted to go to Australia. As a young boy, I had that dream to go to Australia. That's the last of the frontier. And so he said, I'd like to go to Australia. I could hear of a lot of people who worked with their, within the service with a lot of Australian men, and then I started noticing as they told me about Australia and the Australian people, my vocabulary changed. I said, I'd like to go. I said, I am going. I'm going. And I finally wound up in Australia, 1970. Bought a dairy farm. Worked on a dairy farm. Came in contact with a gospel preacher. A gospel preacher. He said, you want to study the Bible? I said, sure, I want to study the Bible. We say the Bible. In December, I was baptized into Christ. And while I was drying off and changing clothes, he said, get you a sermon. I said, get a sermon? What do you know about a sermon? He said, get you a sermon to preach. So I said, okay, I never preached before, but the Lord had given me a talent to talk to anybody, and I'd done it for eight years behind the barber chair. I could talk to you for 15 minutes about anything. So I had the ability to talk. And so my sermon was as long as my title. The title of the sermon was this. If you were arrested and charged with being a Christian, would, it be, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And it lasted about 12 minutes. When I got through, he said, get you another one. I said, another one? I've, I've, I've fulfilled my obligation for life. So I got another one. And I preached. And he encouraged me to preach. And I wanted to go to school. I came back to the States to go to school. I went to school at Carnes. I look at that. How did all that work? My father-in-law was a Baptist preacher. Went to school with Billy Graham. My wife was the organist in the Baptist church and I was a deacon. All that. God touching my life and moving me in Australia. I would have never come and come... I cut people's hair who are members of the Church of Christ. Not one time did they ever offer to study the Bible with me. Not one time did they ever say, would you like to read this track? Not one time did they ever invite me to their, they called them gospel meetings. At that time I called them revivals. Not one time. I had to go 10,000 miles from my home for someone to invite me to study God's Word. And I look at all that thing that happened. The big picture. God's involved in all that. There was tears. And when I came home, you know what happened? My wife's family disowned us. Disowned us. See, if you don't change, you're dead to us. With school of preaching. That first Christmas, three kids, gifts for everybody, head to Florida. Pull up in the front yard. He meets us on the porch. Said, "As far as you go, as far as you go." Hmm. Never came to my daughter's weddings, my grad their graduations, their birthday parties. Nothing. It is though we're dead. 
But you know what? I look at the big picture. All the people in the congregation <laughs> were their grandparents. They became grandparents to my children. And they, it, just, it, it was just so beautiful, the big total picture. And so God has allowed us, even though we, through those things, make messes of our lives, God has allowed us time to sort through them with clarity as we say in the scripture. It may be that there are some who need to get their life back in order as they now can see more of the big picture. So you see, it was battered and scarred and the old auctioneer thought it worth well worthwhile to waste much time on the old violin. So he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good folks, for it? Who said, who'll start it for the dollar? I got a dollar, who'll make it two? Two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars. Three dollars going and almost gone, but a man far back in the room, a gray-haired man came forward. And he took the old violin and he wiped the dust, tightened the strings, and with a bow, began to play a melody as sweet as the caroling angels sing. When the music ceased, the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, now what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. Who'll start the bidding for me? I got $1,000. Who'll make it two? 2000 Who'll make it three? 3000 3000 once, 3000 twice. Going and gone, said he, and the people cried. And many did not quite understand what changed the worth of the old violin. And swift came the reply. It was the touch of the master's hand. Many a man with life out of tune, scarred by sin, was auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd. A game, a glass of wine, a mess of pottage. And then he's going and almost gone. And the crowd cannot fully understand the worth of a soul and the touch that is wrought by the master's hand. He is involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved more in your life. If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel and made him Lord of your life, he wants to be. He invites you to, then he waits to see what you'll do. If you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, you will in turn from all your sin and confess with your mouth what you believe about his deity, and that is, he is the Son of God. And a bread with your Lord by baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life, he'll give you a new name, Christian. Ask you to wear that name proudly, be faithful unto death, and the crown will be yours. Maybe you've done that in times past, and you just, maybe you just let things slide. Maybe get so involved in the things that God has blessed you with that uh, maybe the commitment is not what it ought to be. And, or maybe you're just struggling with something. Maybe you need to ask prayers of the congregation in whatever way you need to respond. You see, the Lord invites you to come. Then he waits to see what you'll do. If you need to, will you come while we stand and sing?